Good afternoon. So I've got three readings for us today. Um, there's not many mentions in the Bible of Melchizedek, but uh, these are the few where he is mentioned. So the first one is from Genesis, reading from chapter 14. So it's the first mention of Melchizedek, starting at verse 18. So you can find that on page 10 of your Bibles. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So the second reading is from Psalm 110. This is a psalm of David which contains a prophecy relating to Jesus. And this psalm we're going to do together. It's a responsive psalm. So I'm going to read a little bit. And then when the words on the screen are bold, you're going to respond with that. So it's Psalm 110, verses 1 to 7, page 492. But you can probably just look at it, actually, at the screen for this one so you can respond. So from verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord, together, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb, together. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way, and so he will lift his head high. And the final reading today is from Hebrews. Chapter 6, starting at verse 19 and going through to chapter 7, 28. And it's quite wordy, so you may want to look this one up and reread bits as I read. So Hebrews 6, starting at verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, and then also, King of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi, who become priests, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi. 
Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the, of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who, is made, who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, may your word live in us and bear much fruit to your glory. Amen. The first readers of To the Hebrews were in a jam. They, a first century community of Italian Jewish believers in Jesus, were facing pressure to abandon Christ as the cost of staying in Christ was skyrocketing. They were experiencing growing hostility from their society and their neighbours who saw them as a weird, even dangerous sect. Yes, the cost, the pressure was going up and the cost of, of continuing Christ was increasing all the time. Press hard enough, what will happen? You'll move. 
drift from Christ. On the other hand, there's another pressure. The other way to move from Christ would not be to an easy and pain-free life, but a disaster, as the writer puts it at the beginning of chapter 2. If we must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken by angels was binding in every violation and disobedience, received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So are they caught in a, in a balance of fear, the society on one side, the judgment of God on the other. They would be if it were not for this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews 6, 19 to 20, words just and highlighted in his sermon last Sunday night. It says they're not caught in a balance of fear because they have Jesus, because of the hope and help they have in Jesus, who has entered the very holy of holies on their behalf. They're not caught in a balance of fear because they have Jesus who has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. With pressure from both sides there to look up. And the claim he's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek is central to what the author of Hebrews has to say and it's this main point of this chapter, chapter 7, all about that. You may ask, why is Jesus becoming a high priest in the order of Melchizedek so important for the beleaguered readers? Or for us, for that matter? Well, now at last, after all this waiting, the great reveal. And here's how we're going to approach this. Let us talk firstly about what a high priest is and why it's needed. And in doing that, I want to especially unpack something of the holiness of God. Then second, we'll deal with, at last, the question of what the order of Melchizedek is and why it matters. And then thirdly, put it all together to show that this seemingly obscure material is of vital and wonderful significance to the readers as well as to us. Let's start with the high priest part. What is a priest? It's not that clear today. The press often, with ignorance, simply use the word priest to refer to um, any religious official or minister. I once heard of a Baptist priest being referred to, for example. But we want to know what the scriptural understanding of what a priest is. I want to answer this in a slightly roundabout way, however, by starting with God, the scripture view of God. Don't be patient, we'll get there. The Lord God coming to dwell among his people is a major theme of scripture's story. The Lord God coming to dwell among his people is a major theme of the scripture story. It is one of the greatest blessings. You could even say that the purpose of human beings is to dwell with God. The Westminster Confession is right in its very opening question. Question, what is the chief end of man? That is, what is the chief purpose of man, of human beings? Answer, man's chief end, 
chief purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But there is an issue. The issue is the very godness of God, the inherent holiness of God. The issue is the, his holiness, his searing, burning holiness. How can God's holiness dwell in the midst of mortal humans, especially as humans are prone to moral and physical unholiness? You see the issue in the account in Exodus of the Lord God descending on the mountain to meet the people. Exodus 19 from verse 16 Quote, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud was over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. Then jumping to verse 20, so Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even looking on God in an unholy state will kill you. Now it's widely known and I suspect appreciated that I am not the kind of preacher who uses gratuitous contemporary cultural references to spice up his sermon. Nor, for that matter, treat fictional scenarios as though they were actually true. But in this case, I will make an exception. The film Raiders of the Lost Ark is, as the title suggests, about stealing the long lost Ark of the Covenant, which dwelt which was at the center of the Holy of Holies where God's holiness dwelt. At the end of the film, the Nazis, who steal it, always the Nazis, open the ark to see what's in it. In a scene which I believe, once having you've seen it, you'll never forget it, I've not seen it, a blinding light and energy comes out of the ark which melts the face off the Nazi. I read a comment on the film uh, which said that this was the wrath of God which destroyed them. I don't think that's quite accurate, actually. I think it's more theologically accurate to say that is the holiness of God that destroys them, the holiness of God. Now, if you don't believe me, let me tell you that something like that actually happened in Scripture. In Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons take censers, um, things with, to burn incense, and offer the Lord what is described as unauthorized fire. What happens? Quote, so fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Leviticus 10, verse 2. So how can God's holiness dwell in the midst of mortal humans prone to moral and physical unholiness? God himself provides the means of his dwelling among his people. There are three parts to it, the three specials as I call it. He provides a special, the special place. 
He provides the special procedures and he provides the special people. First, the Lord gives detailed instructions as to setting up the special place that he may dwell among them. This takes up, in fact, almost the rest of the book of Exodus. The tabernacle or tent is set in the middle of the camp of Israel. They all are camped around. The very center is this special structure. It consists of a series of spaces moving inwards from the profane to the holy. There's the outer courtyard, the inner holy place, and then at the very center, the most holy place, literally the holy of holies, where God can dwell among his people. The special place. But also special procedures. In the following book, Leviticus, God gives detailed and precise instructions as to how he can be approached in his holiness. How the impurity of the people may be cleansed, what offerings and sacrifices should be given to maintain the relationship between the Lord and his people. The special procedure. One writer gives a helpful analogy about these special procedures. She writes, and I quote, the presence of holiness is something like lye or radium. It cleanses and purifies. It contains fathomless energy. It burns, cauterizes scars. The laboratory procedures for handling acids and isotopes are the only form of safety. Leviticus is something like a laboratory manual for entering the presence of the Holy God. Leviticus is something like a laboratory manual for entering the presence of the Holy God. God indeed is good, his goodness itself, and he is holy. So we have a special place, the special place, the special procedures, and now thirdly, the special people. Part of God's provision for dwelling in the midst of his people is the provision of certain people to function on the behalf of the rest in relating to him. The priests. The priests. Priests are appointed by God from the people to represent them in matters relating to God appointed by God from the people to represent them in matters relating to God. And the high priest is the special one among the special people. The high priest, the successor to Aaron, Moses' brother, was the one who drew near to God, the only one who drew near to God, by actually entering the most holy place, the holy of holies, on behalf of all the people. No other Israelite could approach God like that. The high priest alone could do it, and then only once a year to represent them in matters relating to God. And whom did God appoint as priest? As you may know, the Israelites' people consisted of 12 tribes, and God appointed men from only one tribe to serve as priests. The tribe of Levi. That is, you got the job of priest by virtue of your ancestry. The Levitical priesthood, which began in Moses' day, was still operating, still operating, when the book of Hebrews was written. Okay, this brings it all together. God dwells with his people, but God is holy, and that holiness 
is dangerous to mere mortals. God provides a way that they can, he can dwell with them. The special place, the tabernacle. The special procedures, sacrifices, purifications. The special people, priests from the tribe of Levi. Now that's got to be one of the longest introductions I've ever heard to a sermon. But I've taken this time deliberately so that we can get a feel of the bigger scriptural picture which makes sense of the idea of a priest or a high priest. In fact, it's so crucial to understand Hebrews, as is the special place and the special procedures. The, these three specials are crucial in understanding the way Hebrews understands the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't abolish them. And in fact, it's the foundation for what Hebrews to say. It exalts them. Back to our passage in Hebrews 7. As I said at the beginning, the writer assures the tired and dispirited readers that because they have Jesus, they are not caught in a balance of fear. They have Jesus as the perfect high priest in the heavens, superior to all others who minister on earth. A truly high priest who meets their needs and is able to save them completely. A forever high priest. As he writes at the end of chapter 6, Jesus is the ground of the hope they have and an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, which enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain that is in the very holy presence of God himself, where their forerunner, Jesus, has entered on their behalf. And then he adds, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, by now we get high priest. We get high priest appointed by God from the people to represent them in the presence of God, the matter of God. But why in the order of Melchizedek? Well, like the rest of the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews will not just make bald assertions about Jesus just like that. No, he'll always do so within the framework of Scripture, the framework of Scripture. And Scripture is what gives him a framework to understand what has taken place in Jesus. And that is why he raises the issue of Melchizedek. He does it in three steps in expounding Jesus as high priest in the framework of Scripture. First step, the problem. The problem. Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. The only tribe which the law of Moses designates as priest. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, quote, He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests, end quote. So, no high priest for you. Or... Is there another way Jesus could be high priest scripturally? Step two. There is something in Psalm 110 that sheds light on the matter. In that Psalm, <coughs> excuse me, there's an intriguing reference to another order of priesthood, not from Levi. Psalm 110. 
starts with God addressing someone and promising him complete sovereignty. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. But then it contains this crucial statement in verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So here in Psalm 110, verse 4 in particular, the Lord is speaking to someone, swearing an unchangeable oath that that person he's speaking to is now a priest, a priest forever, not in the order of Levi, but the order of Melchizedek. Not the order of Levi, the order of Melchizedek. You might say, who is this Melchizedek? Well, he is a real person that flits from moment through the pages of the book of Genesis, just from moment. In chapter 14, we read that after Abraham's won a battle, it is Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and quote, priest of God most high, priest of God most high, who meets and blesses Abraham as he returns victorious. The psalm has picked this up and therefore speaks of the priesthood of Melchizedek, another order of priesthood. That's step two. Step three, the big one, who is this about? Who is the Lord speaking to when he says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek? Who's the psalm addressed to? Now, this is most important. The writer of Hebrews understands that these words are spoken by God to his son Jesus at his resurrection. The writer of Hebrews understands that these words are spoken, the words of Psalm 110 verse 4, by God to his divine son Jesus at his resurrection. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek are the words of God to his risen son. That is, at his resurrection, Jesus became a high priest under a better and different order from that of Levi, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And this is a very different priesthood as Hebrews 7 verses 15 to 16 shows, I quote, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who's become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now there's a hidden pun, if you want to call it that, in verse 15. The NIV translation has, if another priest like Melchizedek appears. But what if I was to tell you that the more literal translation of the Greek is, if another priest like Melchizedek arises. Now I know arise can mean just appear, but, he, but 
the word used here is exactly the same word used of the re- elsewhere of Jesus' resurrection. This other priest, like Melchizedek, who arises, he says in verse 16, became a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry. See, that's Levi, you see. That's how he becomes priest, Levitical priest. But on the basis of, quote, the power of an indestructible life. That is, a resurrected life, now free from death. And the writer goes on to say that that change, by that change, verse 19, a better, a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. A better hope by which we draw near to God. That is, near to the God who is holy, holy, holy. In fact, it's only because of Jesus' resurrection and ascension that he can become high priest. For as the writer says in verse 4 of chapter 8, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. For there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by the law. But now the risen Jesus is high priest in heaven. He has become high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, you still with me? Good, good. Okay. We've talked about what a priest is and why it's needed. The three specials that God has. Then we've talked about how Jesus is the heavenly high priest and how that involves a priesthood of a different order, that is a Melchizedek. Now, finally, what is it about this high priest that is so helpful? What is it about this high priest that's so helpful? I've called this last section simply better. In Hebrews 7, the writer goes at some length to convince his readers how much better and more secure this forever priesthood of Jesus is compared to the existing Levitical priesthood, which the readers knew about because it was still operating at the time. And although 80% of all Jews lived outside of Palestine at the time, like our readers, Greek-speaking Jews probably living in Italy and Rome, undoubtedly at some point in their life they would have gone to Jerusalem for the great festivals and seen the Levitical priesthood with their own eyes. For us, it's completely different. We're, so, we're completely unfamiliar with the Levitical priesthood, which today, by the way, doesn't even exist. Now, the irony is this. If Hebrews was written in the early 60s of the first century, which I think is most likely, then by the time of writing, the Levitical priesthood had only about eight years left. The temple in which they served would be destroyed during the Roman siege of Jerusalem in the year 70 and never rebuilt. You might think the writer could have saved his trouble by just waiting. But of course, he was not to know what would happen so soon. And anyway, his point is not to put down the Levitical priesthood, which he regards as okay as far as it went. For it's scriptural after all. But to exalt the so much better priesthood of Jesus and so encourage his readers to be filled with hope in their difficulties. Now it's true to say that some of the arguments the writer uses do not speak to us today much at all. So I will not spend time on them. 
like how in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 7, he draws on the unusual way that Melchizedek is described in Genesis to say, quote, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Or how in verses 4 all the way through 10, the writer makes the point that Melchizedek must have been superior to the great patriarch Abraham, and therefore superior to Abraham's great-great-grandson, Levi. And therefore, a priest in the order of Melchizedek must be so much more superior than a priest in the order of Levi. But one of his arguments, that in verse 23, 24, 25 rather, I think still speaks to us today quite powerfully. It's this. The great difference between the old Levitical priesthood and the new priesthood of Jesus is their different relation to death. Levitical priests, the writer says, keep dying off. They are mortal. None of them can continue in office. Jesus, although he tasted death for everyone, he was once mortal, is now raised with an indestructible life. Or as he puts it elsewhere, he has been made perfect. And so he remains in his priesthood forever. And because of that, verse 25, quote, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. As the writer in summing up says in verse 28, quote, for the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. That is, the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, that is, they die, they can't overcome death's power, but the oath which came after the law, that is Psalm 110 verse 4, which comes after the law of Moses, appointed the son, he's already son, but now appoints him as high priest, for he has been made perfect forever. That is, he now has enduring resurrected life. Death has no more dominion over him. The point of all this is this. According to the writer, priests, all priests are called by God and can sympathise with those for whom they minister. What makes Jesus different and fit for a different priesthood is the fact that unlike other priests, he is not subject to mortality, but rather like the figure of Melchizedek, he remains, he lives. Okay, then back to the original readers and back to us. They were in a jam, but not caught in a balance of fear with the hatred of society on one hand and the judgment of God on the other. No, they look up to Jesus, who has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, through whom they have confidence to approach the throne of the Holy God, now called the throne of grace, to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Now make no mistake about it. 
the reason that they and we can amazingly approach the throne of God with boldness and confidence is not because the searing holiness of God has been turned down and cooled. No, no, it remains. It's because God has provided the perfect high priest who lives forever for us. As verse 26 puts it, such a high priest truly meets our needs. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. So do not grow tired. Do not give up. Do not live in a balance of fear. Jesus is indeed the perfect priest who lives forever.